Well, you can be seated, and let me invite you to take your Bible tonight and find Matthew's gospel in chapter number 9. Matthew chapter number 9. If you're new to Church of the Island, or maybe you've not been here in a few weeks, let me introduce myself if I've not had the opportunity to meet you. My name is Alan, and uh, I get to be one of the pastors at Church of the Island. I'm kind of David's associate pastor. as pretty much my role, but I'm so glad to be with you tonight as we just search the scriptures together. Now, we just completed a series, we just completed a study uh, that we called The Signs. And there are, in John's gospel, John records seven main miracles performed by Jesus. Now, in those seven miracles, uh, John calls them signs. And what, what do signs do? Signs point to something. And what the signs in John's gospel do is they, with, with a greater increasing um, emphasis with each of the passing miracles, they point to the deity of Jesus. Each of the miracles show progressively that Jesus was who he said he was. In other words, he was the Christ. He was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. And we began our study with that very first miracle that's recorded in the Gospels in which Jesus turned the water into wine. And then we ultimately last week saw this incredible uh, miracle in which Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Well, the question, in fact, it was a, a great study, but the question that we, we have to ask is during that three and a half years of this earthly ministry of our Lord, when he wasn't performing miracles, what was he doing? When Jesus wasn't, you know, uh, healing the lame, causing the blind to see, what was he doing? Well, what he was doing, and we're going to see tonight, is that he was simply connecting with people in such a way as to connect them spiritually with God. That's what Jesus did. Jesus went from town to town, village to village, person to person, connecting them spiritually with God, making a connection with them in which they would connect spiritually with God. And what I want you and I to understand is that that's what his expectation of you and for me, his expectation of us as followers, as believers to do the same, to with intentionality, connect with people so that we can help them connect spiritually with God. In fact, let me give you the, the major takeaway for tonight. The major takeaway is just really this, that in order to lead people where they need to go, we must first connect with them where they are. Does that make sense? In fact, I think we have that statement, Matt, we could pull up on the screen. You can't take people where they need to go until you connect to people where they are. All right? Matthew chapter number nine. Uh, if you're new to Church of the Island, one of the things that we do is we stand just in the honor of the initial reading of the word of God. So if you would stand with me, if you have your Bibles open, you could follow along as I read out loud. We're also going to put the scriptures on the screen, but get beginning in verse number 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly 
to the Lord of the harvest that he may send laborers into his harvest. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. As we try to do here on Sunday nights, just studying the scripture together, let me encourage you to take out a pencil or a pen, something you can write with. There's some things that we're going to see together as we just walk through these few verses together, understanding God's expectation, his calling upon your life, my life, as a follower of Jesus. Number one, number one, we need to proactively connect with people. As Christians living this life, this journey of life, being followers of Christ, we are to proactively connect with people. Look at that verse 35 again, if you would. Verse 35 says, and Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. So Matthew, and by the way, next week we're going to look at some detail about Matthew, the tax collector. But Matthew, as he records this gospel, this must be a big deal to Matthew. This must have been an amazing thing for Matthew because this isn't the first time he wrote almost these exact same words. In fact, back in chapter number 4, he says this in Matthew 4, verse 23, and he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So this is the second time that Matthew writes this because Matthew is astounded by this. He can't get past this, so he keeps writing it down. And the reason this is such a big deal is because when Matthew writes this, Matthew understands that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God from heaven, God with flesh. And you would think that when God steps down from heaven, God travels from heaven, arrives on this earth, that Jesus, being God, would say, okay, I'm here, come to me. But that's not what Jesus did at all. Jesus, being God, did not say, come to me, but Jesus went village to village, town to town, person to person, making that intentional connection with them. What we also see in this passage is that he is connecting them. Why? Because they're disconnected. These are people that are disconnected, physically disconnected, emotionally, disconnected spiritually, and he helps connect them with the heavenly father so they could be connected. By the way, that's why Church of the Island is here. We are here to intentionally connect with people who are disconnected so that we can help them get connected to the one who can heal them physically. We actually collect funds and we have this program. It's really a part of the DNA of Church of the Island that we call Love Where You Live. So that on Dolphin Island in South Mobile County, if there is a family, if there's an individual that has some physical needs, some things that, that need to be uh, to help them with, we go take care of that. Uh, we've had some men help build a, a wheelchair ramp for, for someone who needed that to meet those physical needs. For those who are maybe disconnected emotionally, we have a ministry called Grief Share. Uh, Victoria has a counseling ministry helping and ministering those people who are disconnected or grieving or have gone through a divorce. So the very reason that we're here is to be very intentional like Jesus was 
helping people that are disconnected, disconnected physically, emotionally, spiritually. That is why we are here. So Church of the Island has been greatly blessed. We started out in the little restaurant and then the school, and then we were kind of like the children of Israel. We wandered for about 40 years, and then providentially God brought us here. But can I just be honest where I believe that we are as Church of the Island? We've become very, very comfortable. And we say, oh, I love Church of the Island. I just go there on Sunday nights and the dynamic worship. I'm so grateful that, that James led us in that new song. Man, that's my new song. I just decided it's my new song. It's powerful. We have incredible worship here. Here's what I want you to hear. Listen to me carefully. Church of the Island is not your resting place. It is your launching pad. We are to gather here on Sunday nights and we're to fellowship and laugh and encourage and pray and praise and study the scripture so that we are ready tomorrow, wherever we go, back on campus, back to work, back in our neighborhoods, intentionally connecting people to God. That's why we're here. There's no other reason why Church of the Island exists as far as why we are here, the purpose of the church to reach those and impact those that are disconnected. Amen? Amen. But it's not my job, you say, but it's our. It's our responsibility as followers of Christ. So number one, we need to proactively connect with people. Number two, we need to passionately care for people. Let's go to the very next verse. Look at verse number 36. And look, in fact, Matt, let's just, let's just camp out here at verse number 36. We'll just, we'll just keep it here for a few minutes. So he's going town to town, village to village, city to city. He's interacting with all of these people, and he's helping them, right? And the Bible says that when he sees the crowds, he had compassion for them. Every time I read that particular verse, I ask myself this question. Do I see crowds the way Jesus sees crowds? No, because I hate crowds. I just do not like crowds. Um, and so the Lord convicts me with this because I don't see crowds the way the Lord sees them. When I see crowds, I see hurry. You know, Jesus sees hearts. Um, so about 10 years ago, we had a, I met a man who for uh, previously about 20 years before, Cottage Hill had a, a partnership with a church in Japan. And uh, I was really wanting to see, could we, could we almost re reconnect that relationship? So I flew to Tokyo. I met with a pastor. I met with some missionaries there. I had an opportunity to, to reconnect for about four years our, our relationship with that particular church in Tokyo. The missionary I was with was a man by the name of Gerald Birch. Gerald Birch was an, uh, a missionary, international mission board for about 20 or 30 years in Japan. So we, we, we're in Tokyo. I've only been there a couple of days, and we're, we're, we're needing to get on the subway, get on the train to go to the next, the next place to meet with uh, a work. And um, so before we entered into the train station, Gerald pulls me aside, and he goes, Alan, he says, we're about to enter into what is called the Shinjuku train station. It is the busiest train station in the world. Over 3 million people will go through this station today. 
He said, I know you've been in Beijing. I know you've been in Moscow, but you've never seen anything like this. And he's right. He said, here's what's going to happen. This was about 10, 11 years ago. He says, we're going to get on the train. He says, you're going to stay close to me. He said, it's going to be crowded. When we get on the train, it's going to get even more crowded. He said, there are going to be people all around you. These Japanese people are going to be all up in your business. There is, no, there is no space. There's no privacy. They're going to be pressed up against you. And with each stop, it's going to get worse. Now, listen to me, Alan. We need to get off on the third stop. Which stop? I said, third. He said, there's a pretty good chance that, that in the course of it, we may be separated a bit, but you must get off. There, there is no way. You have no phone signal. And I didn't. He said, so if we get separated, I don't know how we're going to reconnect. So you must get off on. I said, third, third stop. He said, that's right. We get on the train. The first stop, it gets more and more crowded. People are pressing up against me. I'm up against, I mean, I'm just, I mean, I can see where people, when you read those horrific stories where people suffocate in those crowded, jammed up places. And so we made from the, first, from, from, the, from the first station to the first stop, a few people got off and a whole lot more people get on. We got to the second stop, same thing. Few people got off, even more people. I couldn't imagine how even more people could get on, but they got on. As we're approaching the third stop, my stop, Gerald is by the door. I'm, I'm far away. I'm about as far as almost, you know, maybe from, from here to me, me and you. So the train stops, and I'm telling you, I'm not going to give you all the details of what happened, but I'm just going to tell you this. If Nick Saban would have been there that moment that I made my way through that crowd, he would have signed me up that day to play for him as a running back. I have no doubt. So do y'all know, do you know the parting of the Red Sea? The parting of the Red Sea was volunteer. This was what I'd call violent. There were Japanese people flying everywhere. And I just ultimately say this. If you want to know well, what happened, I'm here. I'm alive and well. I don't, I don't like crowds. I, I don't see crowds the way Jesus sees them. He doesn't see the crowd. He sees the heart. He doesn't see the hurry. He sees the, the heart. So the Bible says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. You ought to underline that word compassion in your Bible. It's a very interesting word. It's a very interesting word in the Greek. It literally means that your insides are moved physically, literally. You and I would use a modern expression of gut punch. That when Jesus would look out upon the crowds and he would see the faces and he would see the hearts, he was gut-punched, so moved with compassion. He cared so much because they were harassed. That's another word you ought to underline in your Bible, another curious word in the Greek. Can I tell you what it means? It means to cut to the quick. It's the word that is used to describe an animal that's skinned. It's a strong word. And in other words, when Jesus saw the people and how they were hurt, how they were cut to the quick, how they were bruised and battered and mangled. He was so gut-punched by that, knowing that they were hurting. And so I just would say this to you. 
I promise you, in this room tonight, probably where you work, in your neighborhood, on your street, there are people around you that are harassed and hurting. As a matter of fact, let me ask you this. Do you, do you know who has been bruised and battered and mangled? Do you know who has baggage and you know who has issues? Everybody. Everybody. But do we see people the way Jesus sees them? Do we ask him to help us to see people? Because the Bible says he, as he sees them, as they were harassed and helpless. That word helpless, another interesting Greek word. It means to be laying on your back and can't get up. Laying on your back and you can't get up. So knocked down. And you and I have met people like that. There's been times that I felt like that. I just don't think I can go forward. I just don't think I, ha I, just don't think I can do this again. That's what Jesus saw. That's what Jesus witnessed. Like sheep without a shepherd. So sheep without a shepherd, for if they fall over, get somehow tossed over on their back, can't get up. So without a shepherd, they're done. And that's what Jesus saw. That's what Jesus, just Jesus witnessed. And so what we are to do, you and I as Christians, our calling is, as Christians, is to ask the Lord to give us spiritual eyes that we can see as he sees and just know that everywhere around us, there are people who are hurting. There are people who are bruised and knocked down and have the breath knocked out of them. And what they need is they need somebody to come alongside and, and connect with them and introduce them, bring them to the, the shepherd who can give them something to drink that will quench their thirst and give them food that can bring nourishment to their souls and to their bodies. That's what we are about. Last thing. We need, number one, we need to proactively connect with people. Number two, we need to passionately care for people. Number three, we need to personally commit to people. The last two verses, 37 and 38, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Let's just, let's pause there. Let's go back to verse 37. So put yourself in the position of Jesus. Jesus has been going town to town, village to village, people to people, and he sees this hurting He sees the harassment. He sees the pain. And he sees as he's connecting with them that they're so receptive. And they need a, they need a shepherd. So he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Next verse, verse 38. Therefore, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't say, you know what, I've been, I've been out among the people and I see what's going on with them. I would ask you as my disciples to pray for them. Pray for the sheep that are without a shepherd. That's not what he does. He doesn't say pray for the sheep. Basically pray that the Lord of the harvest would send more shepherds, send more workers, send more laborers. That's what he prays for. That's what he asks them to pray for. Let me ask you, 
I actually wrote this down. I, I wrote down a prayer that I imagined that maybe the Lord maybe says, hey, maybe pray like this. Father, I'm asking you to send those of us who are your followers into the fields where we live and help us to see people the way you see them, to feel for them the way you feel for them, to do for them what you have done for us. Let's leave that up for a moment. Let's go back and leave it up. I want you to think about praying that prayer. Lord, I'm a follower. Lord, help me to see people. Help me to do for people. Here's what I think happened. I think that Jesus gathered those disciples. He talked to them, and he says, pray. Pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. And I believe, let me tell you what I believe. I believe that he paused, and he gave them an opportunity to pray. So I want to challenge you to pray that. I want to challenge you to maybe even pray this. Lord, start with me. Lord, start with me. You do understand that when the Bible was originally written, there were no verses. There were no chapters. So we end here in verse number 38. The very next verse is chapter 10, verse number 1, but I want you to picture in mind, no break. This is funny to me, what happens next. The very next verse, it says, And he called to him his twelve disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So two verses later, you know what he does? He sends them out. This is what he does. This is, this is what is hilarious to me. This is what, watch this. Look up here. This is what Jesus does. He gathers his followers together. And he goes, listen, as you know, I've been going town to town, village to village, person to person. And let me tell you what I'm seeing. I'm seeing hurt. I'm seeing pain. I'm seeing people that are sheep without a shepherd. Would you pray that the Lord of the harvest would send people to them? Because I'm in the flesh now. I can only be at one place at a time. And these people need help. Would you pray that the Lord of the harvest would send? And then he pauses. He lets them pray. And when they say amen, he goes, hey, I've got great news. God answered your prayers. You're the answer. And he gave them authority. And he gave them power. And he sent them out. It's our responsibility. It's our calling. But, but we have to ask the Lord to help us to see people the way he sees them and to care about them. But we live in this culture, and if we're not careful, we become very calloused to people in need. So a few years ago, we got connected with Compassion International. And as I just researched them, they are probably one of the most faithful and one of the most fruitful ministries I have ever been associated with. Because every dollar you give to sponsor a child goes to that child. It doesn't go to administrative costs. So here's what we did, decided to do. We decided a few years ago to say, look, where are you going next around the world? And they gave us three or four options, and we picked a village, a community in Nicaragua. We met the pastor, and we sent. It took us about two years to raise, to raise the funds, but we paid for the funds for a building to be built, a church that would serve not only as a church for that pastor, but a school, a community center, 
All of those things would be, would be the very center of that community. And then as construction began, we asked Compassion to give us the names of the children in that community that would be ministered to by that pastor that we could sponsor those children. And there were about 250 of those children. Um, so I, I think we'll just skip the video. We'll just skip it. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you about it. So there were about 250 of those children in that community. And so we have been sending out, in fact, if you want to, we may, we'll just post the video on our, on our website, uh, our, our Cottage Hill, so you can see it. Wes Stafford, who was the executive director uh, and the president of Compassion, was with us for our men's event, and I had an opportunity to talk to him for a few minutes. Um, when he first started with them in 1977, there were about 25,000 in the history of Compassion, 25,000 children sponsored. Today, it's 2.3 million children. So we built a church. Here's what happened. About every three months, we would get pictures and videos from that pastor and those leaders and the Compassion Administration saying, hey, here's what's going on with the construction. Obviously, with COVID, things got slowed down for about a year. But uh, just a few months ago, it opened up. There was a grand opening. Uh, we were invited to attend, but there's some political unrest with the, the re-election of the president of Nicaragua, so we're hoping to be able to go down maybe perhaps next year. Um, but the last pictures and videos that the pastor sent me, there were about 150 children involved in a Sunday school program. They teach them how to read. They meet their physical needs. They make sure they're fed. They're clothed. They keep them in a program so that if they don't do their homework, if they don't do the things that are necessary, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll threaten them to remove them from the sponsorship. So probably three or four years ago, Kathy and I, in that little village, we sponsored Lucia. And we get periodical reports from Lucia. Lucia send us a little note, and we write her back. It's an incredible, incredible thing. So here's what I want to challenge us to do. There are a few more children in that, in that community. And I ask Compassion to send us those remaining children. And there's a bunch of them up here. So let me tell you how this works. Um, at these two tables up here, there's these little packets. Um, let me explain to you how it works, and let me set a goal. We set a goal last year to baptize and see 20 people come to faith in Christ and baptized. In other words, 20 people found 20 people rescued. I want to issue a challenge tonight that we sponsor 20 children. 20 children. Um, let me tell you what it looks like. Tell you what happens. I'm going to pray for us in a few minutes. The worship team is going to come. And uh, so this is how it's going to work. We have, I mean, there's a whole lot more than 20 up here. But I just want you to challenge us for 20 children. Let me tell you what's involved. Uh, first of all, you'll get regular updates from your child. Uh, you'll know what's going on. Um, so you'll come up. There's a little picture of a little boy or a little girl. It has their name. It has their birth date. So you can send them a little birthday card. You can send them things. You can send little care packages. Um, we, um, so you'll open up the package. You'll pick out one that just kind of you feel, you feel led or maybe you're drawn to. When we went a few years ago, we were just drawn to Lucia. Um, you'll pick out the packet. Uh, on the back of the packet is a little perforated card. 
We're going to pray. The worship team's going to lead us. You're going to go back to your seat, and you're going to fill out the card if, you're, if you feel like you want to do this. You fill out the front, and you fill out the back, and you tear this off, and you put it in the envelope. And at the end of our service, you're going, we're, going to have, we're going to have some of our volunteers here, and you're going to bring this back up here, right? You're going to bring it back up here. Now, here's another option. There's a QR code. So you can actually scan the QR code if you would rather do it digitally or online. Here's the problem with that. If you scan it, the moment you scan this QR code, this child is pulled out of the system where no one else can sponsor this child. So if you click this QR code and you say, well, I'm going to do it later, and then you don't, this child is out of the system literally for months. It takes a while for them to figure out who is sponsored, who really isn't, and then they, oh, they really weren't sponsored and put them back in the system. So it would just be better for you, don't hit the QR code unless you are serious and you're going to follow through with it. All right, what's the cost? It's $43 a month to sponsor a child. It takes care of make sure they're fed, they're clothed, their education, all of those things that are needed. I've been associated with compassion so long, I've met men and women who graduated, who are now lawyers and teachers and, and productive, healthy citizens. Can I tell you what they do? They not only meet all of their physical needs and emotional needs, they lead them to Jesus, which is ultimately what our heart's desire is. And you'll be able to track them. I'm hoping when things change over there, we're going to take a mission trip over there. You sponsor a child. If you want to go, you can meet your child. We've been anxiously trying to get over there to see Lucia. $43 a month. That's a lot. But probably less than a tank of gas. Why? Why a child? Because if we as a church... We're going to start caring. If we're going to commit, then they have the whole. They have their whole life ahead of them, and we can affect them. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Worship team's going to come. Here's what you're going to do. If you feel led, you come. You look over the tables. Pick you out a little packet. Go back to your seat. Fill it out. Just as we're playing the music, as we're worshiping, you fill it out. And then even after our service, when we conclude, if you still have some questions, we'll have some folks available, and maybe I can answer some as well. All right? Let's set a goal in this room. I think we can do it. 20 children. We've seen 20 saved this year. Let's save 20 more in the name of the Lord. Let's stand together and bow our heads together in prayer. Let me just lead us in, in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your example of seeing people beyond their faces to see their hearts. And Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would even more see people the way you see them. And that we would care about people the way you care about people. And even committing to help people. And it could be just tomorrow we have an opportunity on our campus or at work or in our neighborhood to, to 
connect with someone and help them in their brokenness to bring them to the shepherd. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity even tonight to to maybe help some boys and girls. And so, Lord, I I love the fact that we're doing this. I love to see the reports of of the church and the school and and God, how you're working in that village and working in that community and God using that pastor and his wife and other leaders of that church. And so, Lord, Lord, even for those tonight who, who don't feel led or uh, to sponsor a child, Lord, I, I pray they would at least commit tonight to care and to intentionally, proactively connect with people with the goal of connecting them with you. Give us that kind of heart tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You come. You come. These tables are here.